Hello there, Menor Missionary Baptist Church family. It's good to be with you today through this uh, midweek roundup of the sermon this week. We've continued in the book of Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians now for 14 years. <laughs> it's been a long time. I don't know when, honestly. Since uh, 2021, right? We started it. Last year. Right, we started yeah, it the, yeah. in January, yeah. I think, of 2021. Did we start it in January? No, we did a, a different series, I think. We did? We did like a five-week mission series, I thought. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. So it would have been February or something. So yeah. we're a year oh, okay. in. We're we're okay. a good year in now. Uh, but we've, we've took some breaks mm-hmm. and some different times. But uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 5. We were looking at verses 21 to 33, which will be in probably the next two weeks as well, this section here. Uh because Paul has been talking, remember in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, is this is what God has done for you. But then when we get to chapters 4, 5, and 6, it starts to turn into now, because this is what God has done for you, this is what it's going to produce in your life. This is how you are going to live. And so Paul's already cemented and declared we don't earn our salvation. It's by grace through faith. He's already knocked all that stuff out of the park. We know that. We have that in our, in our head and when we get to Ephesians chapter 5, remember we've been talking about a spirit-filled life and what that looks like and even how that is obtained. Those are past messages I don't really want to keep hashing on. But part of the spirit-filled life is it produces then inside of us as Christians, number one, a desire for fellowship with other Christians. That's where Paul directly goes. He starts talking about singing and admonishing one another singing to each other so it's not a by yourself thing it's a being together thing so there's fellowship there's teaching there's singing um and then there's also thankfulness but then in verse 21 which is a a tough verse for all of us probably it says that we are to submit to each other Uh, and so we we spent some time talking about that and paul puts that in verse 21 and it's really a good ending to what he was talking about with the spirit filled life but it's also a really great transition to where he's now about to go to start talking about relationships that everybody has and how do we live our life in these relationships now as Christians, as as believers. And the first place he goes is to the marriage relationship, which is probably the, I don't know how you guys would phrase it, but it's probably the most influential relationship that we would see in Scripture besides our relationship with Christ. Uh, and that's where Paul naturally goes. Now, it should be known, Paul's not married, right? Am I wrong in saying that, Spencer? No, I think I think you're right. All right, thank you. Uh, Paul's not married, uh, but he still is able to talk about marriage, guided by the Holy Spirit. Marriage. Marriage, yep, here. And <clears throat> I thought it was important for us to take some time this past Sunday to look at marriage maybe a little more broadly from the biblical viewpoint. Um, So I didn't want to go right away into verses 22 like through 24 and say, okay, wives, this is your week. Let's talk about wives. And then the next week, let's talk about husbands. I thought it would be best to say, all right, what is marriage in the Bible? You know, what is its purpose? Where does it come from? Uh, Is it something we should even really care about? Uh, Because... I think those are valid questions uh, in our day and age, and more and more I know I hear from people around me, not not in the church, but some in the church, of 
marriage is old. You know, it's an antiquated thing. You don't need that. Uh, I'm committed to my boyfriend or I'm committed to my girlfriend and we live together and we have two kids together and we've been together for 15 years, you know, and everything's fine. Why do I, why do I need to get married or whatever? Um, so I thought it was important to take some time to talk about marriage. And in order to do that, you have to go all the way back to Genesis, to the very beginning, uh, to start talking about marriage and God's institution for marriage. And so one of the things that I brought out was the importance of marriage being created within creation. Uh, let's talk about that maybe a little bit. I'd like to get your guys' uh, viewpoint. One side note before I guess we go on to answer this, we do have Pastor Dave with us today. He's He's our new hiree, uh, so today we're trying to break him in a little bit on the podcast. We're going to be doing a couple podcasts after after this. Should I give him? Yeah, give him a, <laughs> yeah. a little applause there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was nice, Spencer. Yeah. Way to produce. Yeah, yeah. About time. About time. <laughs> yeah. All it took yeah. was Dave. <laughs> yeah, all it took was Dave. <laughs> Dave, it's good to have you. We just bounce back and forth. If you have a thought... Uh, Feel free to say it. Do know when you talk, right. though, you probably have to be eating the microphone. That's how these are, so you might want to pull it towards you a little bit more there. Okay. Um, Sounds good. Thank but you. But, yeah, just feel free to feel free to jump in. We do a lot of staring at each other, too, on this. I'll ask a question, and we'll all just look at each other. Uh, no, anybody no. Anybody answer? That is, is not anybody that is, you don't wanna If you don't want to answer, is, just stare at Spencer. That is my – that, that is Pastors of the Roundtable. I'll tell you what, I'm glad you're here because yeah. I ask anything, and these guys are like – because you're probably asking us some weird uh, question about historical dates, and we're like, we don't know this what, answer. George Washington? <laughs> Just say Jesus. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's the children's answer. Um, but I want to get your guys' opinion on, because I, 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 I know that you guys will agree with this, but it is very important to establish that marriage is rooted in creation, not some cultural context, uh, not anything like that. But God had established marriage before sin, and when when He married, when He made man and woman, and then created them for marriage and all this, He said, "This is good. Mm -hmm. This is good." He declared it to be good. Why is that so important, especially today with the outside influences, the outside voices of marriage, sexuality, gender, all these different stuff? Why is it so important that it's rooted in creation? Well, I think I think probably honestly one of the things this this whole um, discussion exposes not simply about marriage, but broader, is how I think we've um, probably in conservative Protestant circles we've really had an inadequate view of creation in general. Hmm. Um, we've really that whole category we've we've really focused on salvation to the neglect of the idea of creation. And what that does then is like marriage is just simply one facet of that um, to where we have to uh, <clears throat> then. Um, thank you. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, so, uh, but um, we have to really just go back and anchor everything in creation because remember that we have that basic um, principle of that you see in scripture is that God's redemption, God's grace doesn't destroy nature. It doesn't destroy the creation it renews it. It brings it back to its fullness. Um, and um, so we have that basic principle that Paul is so right. For instance, one of the things that was um, happening, um, I believe in Corinth, right, where some people were wondering, is it even appropriate for me to be a Christian and be married? And Paul's saying, no, it is totally appropriate. Right. In fact, God 
blesses and sanctifies mm-hmm. even a marriage to an unbeliever. It's holy now. Yeah. So g- grace doesn't destroy nature. It doesn't destroy creation. It actually renews mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And so that brings us back to um, marriage is so anchored in in reality. It's re- it's anchored in in what is. You can't change that. It's not a a convenience or a cultural. Mm-hmm. Um, thing that cultures do things differently. This is something that is part and parcel of what it is to be a part of the created order. Yeah. You bring up a good point that I didn't talk about in the message at all. Uh, I just didn't think I, I needed to, but in Corinthians, uh, yeah, what it, what's happening there is you have people abstaining too from sexual relations with their spouse and they're acting as if that's a holy thing to do. <laughs> right. And Paul uh, has to tell them, no, this isn't, but yeah, because it's anchored in in creation there, mm-hmm. which helps us. Did you have something? I mean, I was just going to say, like, to your question, you know, why is it important that we recognize that marriage is rooted in creation? I would say two things, but they're connected. First of all, if something's rooted in creation pre-fall, pre-sin, and we can <clears throat> learn something about the way God set up marriage before the fall, then we can identify that this is the way God designed marriage to be. This is not a result of sin in the world. This is not a result of a culture or anything like that. And since it's not the result of sin, not the result of culture, but that's actually how God designed it, that means that, yes, this was created thousands of years ago, and this was the way marriage was taught thousands of years ago. But it's if it's rooted in creation, that means it's timeless. It doesn't change. Um, there are aspects of marriage that do change based on culture, but whatever we can learn about marriage from Genesis pre-fall, we can know, like, this isn't th- something that changes from culture to culture. We can't, like, we would say, we would teach this to a Chinese church that <clears throat> has vastly different historical culture than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it doesn't change over time, and it is good. Yeah. So we see in Genesis 1 and 2, um, and you can read that account for yourself, that God establishes marriage there within creation, as we're talking about. A very important thing to point out, which I think maybe got overlooked for too long, but God created the male and female to be married together. Again, that's a big fight even within churches today. Uh, But before the fall, male and female, this is what God has joined together as one. Uh, We see... God had a purposeful reason for creating Adam and then creating Eve. There was there was purpose behind it. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an accident. This was a part of of God's plan, and and that's kind of what we walk through in in the sermon there. But there's a purpose to the genders, and we do see Adam being created first, and that he is responsible for the marriage. That's why after sin had happened, God goes searching for Adam. Where are you at? He's talking to Adam when God knows very well who ate the fruit first. Mm-hmm. He knows Eve did it, but he doesn't go to Eve. He, he goes to Adam. Why? Because the role he gave Adam was head of that relationship. Uh, with Eve, it says she's a suitable helper that comes alongside Adam to fulfill their purpose together um, and how these genders are created in God's image is equal, but with these separate roles and responsibilities. Uh, Scott, you gave me a book from Andreas Kostenberger. I don't know if you know more about him. Do you know where he's from or anything off the top of your head? I don't know where he's from. Okay. I think he's a professor at Midwestern. 
theological. Is it Midwestern? Right okay. Yeah. I wanted to say that yesterday, but I, I wasn't for sure, and I didn't want to get it wrong. But I know he's got like those two little dots over the O yeah. in his name, so I don't know if that means he's. I mean, that's European, I think. But yeah, I I'm going to add that to my name. Huh? To the snow. I think it's yeah. Scandinavian. <laughs> Scandinavian? I, think so. I didn't know if it was Scandinavian. Are you going to pronounce it different? Yeah. Well, how would I oh. pronounce that, Dave? Snow. If I added those It'd over be snow. my name. Because it's like Kostenberger. Yeah, yeah. Schnoll. Schnoll. Andreas Kostenberger. Anyways, he he brought up some stuff that I really enjoyed and liked, and that that's why I'm trying to get to it to, to bring it up. But he was talking specifically how man, male and female, are created in the image of God. And to no other part of creation did he give the command to subdue and control and that that wasn't just given to Adam. It was given to Adam and Eve together, mm-hmm. that together they would subdue and have dominion and then multiply and fill the earth. And, and multiply and fill the earth, he even said, was part of the subdue dominion thing. And that they would work together in this. But what he said in, uh, uh, was that this shows that they are representative rulers being made in the image of God of of how God has control over creation and man being made mm-hmm. in the image of God mm-hmm. is a representation of that, that God has chosen male and female to represent him as those who are taking care of, of creation. And I really liked that point that he brought up because I honestly haven't heard that too often in places. I, I think one of the things I've heard, and Dave, maybe you've heard, uh, but, um, but the idea that the idea of an image is that the ancient kings would set up their image on the boundaries, yeah, and it represented their rule and their reign. And we are we are life size, but are, we are living images, right? Mm-hmm. Representing, we ultimately don't even represent our own rule. We represent God's rule, right? Yeah, and, he had an example care over creation. He had an example. I don't remember exactly, but it was of Egypt, and it was Pharaoh, and it was like some distant country. Yeah. But when they would take Pharaoh, would say, "Build my image right, right there," right. and that was the reason. I was this yeah. is mine. Right. Right. I modern, rule this. Yeah. The modern day example would be in war. You know, when a when a country conquers an area mm-hmm. or something like that, where like, you know, I I tried to use the example of uh, I think I say right Iwo Jima, mm-hmm. right? Whenever uh, the U.S. forces took the island of Iwo Jima. And they put the flag. There's that yeah. famous picture mm-hmm. of yep. the, them putting the flag. Right. Well, what is that? The flag represents the United States is now in control of this island. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing. And and that, mm-hmm. like, this isn't exactly where your sermon went, but that's a really important thing for many other different areas of our life mm-hmm. to recognize what it means to be created in the image of God. Because people try mm-hmm. to define that differently. You know, like they think to be made in the image of God means that you have a conscience. Or it means that you are able, you're rational or something. Well, no, that's not what it means. And if you try to define it like that, you can get into some really hairy areas. Mm-hmm. Well, what about whenever you're not able to be rational? Mm-hmm. What about people with disabilities? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're no longer conscious, if you're brain dead, does that mean you're still a human being? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it just has implications. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff like that we can draw from the first three chapters of Genesis. But yeah, that's. Yeah. That's helpful, I think, for people to know. Mm-hmm. And then, like, there's something that I was thinking about when you were preaching, Tim, is uh, about us being the representative rulers um, here on earth for the Lord. In Revelation 22, when he's talking about the river of life, at the end, or in verse 5, it says, And night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And it's just like going back to what you talked about, Spencer, of how it doesn't do away with 
creation. Mm-hmm. It kind of redeems it. It yeah. fulfills it. Amen. And so you see we're created in the image of God at the very beginning, and at the very end we'll be perfectly fulfilling <clears throat> that responsibility. Yeah, through the second Adam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we continue on uh, with my notes here, how we were created for dominion over the earth and to subdue, take care of, reap the benefits from the earth. And we see after the fall that this becomes difficult, a lot more difficult than it was uh, pre-sin. God created them to multiply and fill the earth. This is another thing that he told them to go and do. Uh, But then fourth... And I, I think this was good, especially as we're as we're getting into talk about marriage, the roles of wives and husbands together within marriage. God specifically says in Genesis, after creating Adam, it's not good for him to be by himself. Mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting. Um, again, this is pre-fall. Yeah. So there's no way Adam was lonely, right? I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. I was just trying to think yeah. through it. He he's not lonely. He's made in a perfect. Time and world. I don't know the span of Adam being made before Eve. I don't. I don't know how all that works. I think if somebody does say they do, they they don't really know that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but God specifically has written in His Word. It's not good for Him to be by Himself. I need to create somebody for Him. Mm-hmm. And then we have the thing of all the animals. Animals, you know, rolling across Adam, and He's naming them. Like no, 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 no. All right. I'm put you to sleep and create woman here, and now you two are, you two are going to be made in my image together for my purposes, mm-hmm. and you have your roles. I don't know. I just I just found that fascinating. I find that fascinating that God would include that need for companionship, and it's a companionship that just cannot be <clears throat> be met in any other way. So you're saying a dog is not man's best friend. I don't know. Is there a difference between a friend and a wife? You'd have to tell me I, that, Spencer. I, 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 yes. I, 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 <laughs> okay, Scott said yeah. I, yeah. No, my I, wife doesn't listen to this, so really? I'm safe. See, I, okay, I consistently tell my wife that she's my best friend. Do so, you mean it though? I mean, you yeah, can say I things do. all the time. <laughs> no, I'm not like you. I mean what I say. Ouch. I. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, that thought never even comes into my mind, actually, Tim. Um, so I think it would be good for you to repent. <laughs> I will later. Um, yeah, no, that's very helpful that Adam looks there, and there's no counterpart mm-hmm. to him. Well, um, one of the words, the word for helper, I could be wrong, but I believe it's the same word that's actually also used to describe the Lord. Where it says, my help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. He's my helper. Yeah. He's my ally. He's the one who comes to my aid. So... The word helper, I think, is one of those words that we really have to help people define as well because it, I don't think it means, one of the things you really helpfully pointed out is that the the image and the commission that God gives them is shared. Mm-hmm. It's not as if this is Adam's commission and then she just comes along and helps in Adam's job. No. Adam's commission becomes their commission. Mm-hmm. Adam's image is their image. Mm-hmm. Together they share in. And similarly, mm-hmm. she's a helper in the sense in which Adam, she's his ally. She's the one right alongside him that without her, it's not possible for him to have someone who corresponds to him to complete the commission. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that word is just important for people to to meditate upon because oftentimes whenever people hear the word helper, they think, 
well, I'm the boss and she's the assistant. Yeah, yeah. And that's not actually, I don't think that's actually the, the spirit no. or the idea that's being conveyed here. No. She's the perfect match mm-hmm. to help mm-hmm. him <clears throat> and him to help her now to, so that now they can work together to fulfill God's mm-hmm. great purpose in the world. Even Jesus referring to the Holy Spirit as the helper. Yeah. It's the same idea, the idea of the Holy Spirit comes alongside and Mm -hmm. helps, reminds us of truth and all that. It's not like he's our assistant, like the Holy Spirit just comes alongside and helps us in our our endeavors. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or even that he helps Jesus, right? Right. And I think that's how the Holy yeah. Spirit's seen sometimes. You go, yeah, Jesus up here. And the Holy Spirit kind of comes right. Over and helps right. With yeah. right. And yeah, that has been portrayed. And that came up in, in my studies of this, um, of that word helper and how, yeah, Adam is never declared to be helper at all. But God is, Jesus is, like it, it's mm-hmm. used in other instances. So it's not a, a lesser thing right. at all, especially when talking about um Eve being tempted, and why did why did Satan tempt Eve? Is it because she's so weak? She was the weak one. It's like no, Scripture doesn't. No, it's not because she was weak or so easily tempted and swayed. Which, which sadly, uh, I've mm-hmm. heard some husbands talk that way mm-hmm. about their wives. You know, yeah. like she is just right. you know she's a lady and she's just very weak and doesn't understand. And mm-hmm. I have to be the one right. to filter everything through me, through me so right. I can help her along. So Which it's, it's, it's ironic, though, too, because in that same teaching, one of the things that will happen is, on the one hand, the wife is always the, is, they'll always picture women as the, the weak ones who are always susceptible to being led astray. But on the other hand, they can also be the ones who can easily manipulate everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they can't be both. You know what I mean? Like, right. And the point is, is we're all sinners, and uh, we both have the same need of the same Savior. And so I think that's just really drawing out more from this text than what it's trying to prove. Yep. So before sin, you have subdue the earth, you have multiply and fill the earth, you have a need for companionship. This again is before before sin. And we and we also have God creating roles for them. All before sin. But sadly, next chapter sin comes up. Right. <laughs> sin happens. And so we we know the story, you know, they they eat of the fruit that God told them not to eat of. And so then what happens is God declares some things after sin. He talks to Satan, he talks to Eve, he talks to Adam and says this is what's going to this is what's going to happen now. And with Eve, he, he talks about Eve's struggles and says you're going to struggle in childbirth. The whole the whole fulfill multiply multiply in the earth. I don't know what birth would have been like before sin if it would have just been easy going. I'm maybe no pain, no whatever, but that's gone. That's gone now. For you to actually fulfill your role, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt you to do this, uh, but that's going to happen. But then it says that. Um, let me let me pull it up because I want to I want to say it uh, correctly here. Where do I have it in my notes? There it is. Uh, to the woman, he said, "I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children." Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, if you have a, a King James Version or maybe even an IV or maybe even an early version of ESV, I think the early version of ESV says something different too. It says your it says something like your desire shall be for yeah. your husband. That's what the ESV <clears throat> says. Does your ESV say contrary? Yeah, they yeah. changed oh, it. They yeah. changed it. Okay. Yeah. And there was some discussion on that. Uh, and I had some people actually ask me that uh, after service yesterday and text me mine says for contrary <clears throat> so i did a little bit of studying on it yesterday and i don't think that really changes the meaning of the 
of the verse, to be honest with you, but it seems like the versions that say four are a more conservative interpretation. Well, in, in a sense, they're just giving you the conjunction. I think this it's is, like L, E-L. This is, this is giving you an interpretation yes. of what that means, yes. whereas the past, the King James, the others were just kind of saying, yeah. it could. this is a valid interpretation. This is, yeah. But well, the question is, is it the only mm, possible yeah, interpretation mm. that this verse could have? And there's it's contested. Well, yes, it is. It is. And the, the, what really helps understand that you know your desire is contrary or like what that for, because that could mean a lot of different things. Well, your desires for your husband, does that mean sexual desire? What does that mean? But in Genesis chapter 4, when God is talking to Cain, and he's telling him, <clears throat> he says this in verse 7, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. That's That word for is the same word. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's... That's helpful in understanding what what does it mean that your desire is for? Well, it means that it is contrary. It wants to dominate over you. Wants to you, rule you. Rule over right. you. Right. Right. And so that's 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 where I think the interpretation of contrary yes. comes in is yes. based on that same understanding. Yep. yep. And uh, I was glad somebody asked me that. And I, I found like an article online for them to read and kind of tried to explain that in a text, which is yeah. which isn't the easiest to do, but um, but I wanted to bring that out in this to say, yes, it, in some versions it says four, but I, I still don't think it changes what the interpretation then would be that I would was teaching, mm-hmm. <clears throat> is that there's this fight within marriage uh, because we don't want to be in our roles, mm. you know, and uh, we see that play out, if we're honest, in all of our marriages where we have disruption and we have frustration, oftentimes... This is where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a fight that takes place. And so we see very clearly that sin has has disrupted marriage. And so then for Adam, God says, you're going to struggle in your role to provide and to protect. And you're going to fight with your wife for, <clears throat> for your position, so to speak, uh, because you're going to feel disrespected. Right? You're going to have all this stuff. And so that's where we see a lot of sin with men in marriage. Uh, some who don't lead at all. When they should take the lead, they're not willing to take the lead at all. Uh, but some who lead in a way that is domineering, that, that harkens back a little more to what we were talking to before, where they see their wives as a lesser. They are the master, and they need to rule here. And that's not correct either. And so this struggle comes because of, because of sin. Uh, that's what we have as a result, a result of sin. Uh, but the way we ended the message yesterday, and I want to end our time here because we're getting towards the end, is in Ephesians uh, 22 through 5, 5, 22-33, Paul, in talking about marriage, talks about this mystery, how he's really talking about Christ in the, in the church. And so when Paul is speaking of marriage there in Ephesians, he makes a point to say, marriage is beyond just you two being together. It, it's actually, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than just you guys loving each other and raising a family. All that, That's good stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's stuff that Paul has to say about that. And he does. And we're going we're gonna to look at that. But he's getting at the fact that it's, it's bigger. It's bigger than just the male-female bonds, bigger than procreation. But that marriage is and always will be a part of God's perfect plan for humanity. And as we live our lives in marriage how we're supposed to, we are actually revealing to the world what a spirit-filled life, how it, how it is lived. 
right? We're showing them a glimpse of, I was kind of nervous. I said this yesterday and I thought maybe you guys would say something, a glimpse of, of the restored kingdom, what it will look like. But nobody came to me after and said, we're not going to be married though then, right? I was waiting for somebody to say that. Depends on what religion you are. Okay. What do you mean? I mean, if you're Mormon, you are married forever. And you have your own planet. Too. You have your planet. I mean, you could be. <laughs> Sounds pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, Scott, there's a temple right in Detroit. You can go. Um, <laughs> talk to Alicia. I just wondered if anyone caught that because I, I, I'm like, maybe I should clarify this. I thought I'm, about it. I'm like, I'm not clarifying this. It's too I'm late. It's too, it's too late in the game. It's time for this sermon to be over. <laughs> but I, that's why I wanted to say it here. But we are, again, we, we've already talked about restoration, right? And, and getting away from sin and how God is going to restore, restore things. And again, marriage was before sin. And so as we live our married life together, how we should, we are giving people a glimpse of restoration, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're, as I've kept saying, I can't hand this passage to my non-Christian friends and say, this is what your marriage should look like. Mm-hmm. They can't do that. They don't have a spirit-filled life. It's impossible for them to live by that standard. But I can hand this to Christian brothers and sisters and say, this is what marriage should look like. And we do, as Christians, have the Holy Spirit in us and the ability to actually live this way. Now, it's not going to be perfect. We're going to fail. We're going to fall short. But we actually can have the ability to fulfill our roles, fulfill our duties, our responsibilities within marriage, have a loving relationship, and the world should see a difference in that. And what it's reflective of is the love that God has for us and mm-hmm. Christ and the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where Paul's going as we get into the meat of verses 22 to 33 that I want to be stuck in our in our minds as we're talking about submission, as we're talking about husbands, you should give your life for your wife. What does that mean? You know, mm-hmm. what, what, I, what are we talking about? Well, the picture that should be in our head is Christ and the church the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think also it's helpful to put this in the broader frame of all the relationships that he's going to talk about mm-hmm. because Christ is in every single one. Um, yeah. Uh, obey your parents in the Lord. Mm-hmm. That is, obey your parents in Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's who the Lord is. And then we bring him up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, Jesus. Slave and master's relationships are transformed mm-hmm. by Christ. So... It's, it's, it's helpful also to realize that I think um, what Paul is saying here is, is tied back to verse five, chapter of 1 of verse 5, mm-hmm. that we're to be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. And we walk in love in our vocations in the realm of the family, mm-hmm. which is really this whole, this is all one household code. House, yeah, household. It's all one, this is all what a household would have looked like. So if you're a wife, this is what it looks like to walk in love. If you're a husband, if you're a child, if you're a parent, if you're a master, if you're a slave, this is what it looks like to be, to walk in love as beloved children. Mm-hmm. And so he's redeeming, he's, he's restoring all these. And one of the things that's also helpful is there is marriage in heaven but it's the marriage between God's people mm-hmm. and Christ. There is fatherhood in heaven, but it's us as his children with him as our father. And there is masters and slaves, but it's us who have been bought by his blood and redeemed, who have been bought by the master himself. Mm-hmm. So all of these relationships all along from the first of creation were meant to point us and to draw us to the deeper realities of what we have in Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and Tim Keller, I think, really 
makes a good point about Ephesians 5 in his marriage book when he talks about how that's why marriage has to have this high calling, you know, because if we look at it like, oh, a checklist, you know, like, okay, you know, I've got my wife, but I've got my job and I've got my hobbies, then we're in trouble, mm. Tim Keller says, because marriage does not work that way. Mm-hmm. It works because God created it, and therefore it has to have this utmost calling because Christ and the church is the utmost calling. Mm. So I think he makes a good point. I, I, I thought about that in your sermon yesterday, mm-hmm. how important it is for Christians to understand that this is a high priority according to God's word. It's not just like, oh, it's nice to have a, a wife and a husband and nice to have a family and then I can have this. And, you know, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Christian life is consuming. It's all consuming. Right. And uh, I don't know if everybody looks at it that way. Yeah. You know, it. it when Christ saves us and changes us, it's all of us. It's everything, and so it has an impact on our household, on our work, on our friendships, on everything. At least it, it should. It changes our worldview. Um, and so that that's really what we're starting to get into here in in Ephesians. We are getting, to me, to the difficult part because this is, if all this stuff is true of what Paul's been saying, this is how it's going to play out. And what we realize very quickly, all of us people who are doers and like to do checklists, I start to realize, okay, I'm making my checklist here and I'm not checking anything off. I keep failing in this. I'm not being the husband I'm supposed to. My wife doesn't seem to be the wife she's supposed to. My kids aren't being the kids they're supposed to be. I'm not being the dad I'm supposed to be. My work life doesn't feel that great. I don't know. You know, we, we start to see all this stuff, but then it harkens us back again to those first three chapters of, but yet in the midst of this, God loves me and Jesus died for me and he's poured out his grace on me. And I have a loving father who is, he is changing me. And so we keep striving, yes, to do better. Again, not for his, not for him to love us more. We want to do better because he loves us mm-hmm. and he keeps loving me mm-hmm. despite of my checklist not getting checked off. And so I hope we remember that as we continue through because honestly, the rest of Ephesians is difficult. I mean, we're going to get into the, uh, oh, I just had a, a brain fart. The uh, armor. Armor of God. Yeah, the armor of God, and we're going to realize how we're not very good with that stuff. It, it, it's it's going to be tough to, to, to look in the mirror at ourselves as we're reading God's word. We're going to see how much we fall short, but let's remember everything Paul's already said in those first three chapters. And also the, the principle, too, everything God requires of us, he gives. <laughs> He's completed he for gives. us. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's so comforting. Yeah. That's what the gospel is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, well, uh, we hope to see you uh, this coming Sunday as we'll be in Ephesians chapter 5, probably in verses 22 through 24. Uh, That's where I'm expecting to be. I don't think that will change, but it could, I guess. Uh, But I might stay home. I might not come that Sunday. You might preach. What if I get sick again? I might just... Dave or Scott, I'm sure. Dave's got to do music. Scott I'm already busy. On, I'm already in the lineup. He's doing the children's section. <laughs> You're doing the children's section? He is. That's awesome. That's right. Chapter yeah. 6. They needed somebody awesome. that, that was very childlike. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to wear that wig? You've got to come to VBS to see that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he's preaching in a couple weeks. That's uh, awesome. For the, you're gonna, are you going to do two sermons, no, you think? Just, just one. Just probably think? just one. Yeah. So parents and kids there. That's great. Nice. Yep. And then That's we'll awesome. let Spencer tackle the slaves and masters. Oh, he's a slave driver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, again, thank you for listening today. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday. God bless.